Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. If I'm doing a movie, the, the point of a movie in a conversation like a Woody Allen movie is believability, right? So it's conversational. But then when I watch stand-up, it's different. It's a rhythm of like set it up and then boom, you know, boom, boom, boom. I had to learn all that. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I'm really, really excited about the show today because an inspirational guy from Boston, where I started, is here in town with a new movie by his own name, Sweeney Killing Sweeney. And I was lucky enough to catch up with him at the W Hotel, and we had a blast. And I know you're gonna love this episode. This guy is an incredibly powerful entity in the comedy world, and you're gonna find out why. Before I get started, I just wanna let you know, again, I am very grateful, very thankful, and you guys have been truly amazing how wonderful you've been and how supportive you've been of the podcast. We couldn't do it without you. And I say we because it's all of you. And I am really, really grateful. Thank you. And without further ado, let me introduce our guest. And then you're going to have a great, great time. Born in Charlestown, Massachusetts, Steve Sweeney is a legendary Boston comedian known as a master of dialects and character voices. With his famous Boston accent and great insight into human nature, Steve is so thoroughly Bostonian that he merits his own stop on the MBTA Green Line. Steve learned his craft at the world-famous Ding Ho Comedy Club in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he performed with Boston icons Lenny Clark, Dennis Leary, Jay Leno, Stephen Wright, and more. 
well-rounded and seasoned Steve has kept audiences laughing for years, and he won his status the old-fashioned way. He earned it. He's been featured on major television shows, including Evening at the Improv, Late Show with David Letterman, and Comedy Central's mainstay hosted by Dennis Leary, Comics Come Home, which he appeared 10 years in a row. Steve's trademark political satire has earned him top hosting jobs on most of Boston's greatest radio stations. Additionally, Steve is a successful actor and has appeared in many films, including Me, Myself, and Irene, There's Something About Mary, Next Stop Wonderland, Celtic Pride, and Back to School with the late Rodney Dangerfield. His latest film, now on iTunes, is entitled Sweeney Killing Sweeney, in which he plays himself and many of his trademark characters. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the character king of Boston, a legend, and one of the greatest performers I've ever witnessed. Please welcome my guest today, Steve Sweeney. That's right. Barry, I'm so proud of you. Barry, you came out here. <laughs> you were involved in producing The Last Comic Standing, right? Yes. And you, you managed Dave Chappelle? Yes. And you've done a lot of other things? Yes. And uh, he, Barry, I don't know, even know who I'm talking to here, but Barry was one of my students at Emerson College. That's right. And he was good. He was really good. And I've had that experience because I was teaching college. I was um, living in Quincy, Mass., and this cop came to my house about some matter. And he, I said... You look familiar. And he says, yeah, I was in your class. I said, well, I hope I gave you an A. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, you know, I'm very proud of you. And we've had this trip out here with this movie. It's called Sweeney Killing Sweeney. And uh, I've seen these guys that I knew as friends, you know, just friends. And they're so successful now. And it's like I'm really happy for them, you know. Yeah, well, you're successful. It's funny you say that because... When I was out here before, I I had a couple of uh, trips. I went to graduate school at USC, and I loved it. I lived in Venice. I did absolutely nothing. I got I got so used to this. Was this before you did comedy? Yeah, I I got my masters in writing, and I was I was an actor, you know, and I loved it. But the, you know the sun and the beach and everything, and then I, uh, I it was like coming out of a nap. Like five years later, I'm like in Venice talking to hippies and no you know it was almost against it was against the philosophy you know to, to get ahead success there was something wrong with it and I said what the fuck am I doing I don't want to be broke I don't want to be poor so then I went back to Boston then I came out here again for four years and then I left again you know but I, it's been really nice this time can I give you my opening line the other night at the improv of course I um I get up on stage and you know I'm an actor, so my my object I wanted to be very joyful when I opened my set and I go up with a big smile and uh, I said this is so beautiful out here this is like 
the national parks. Everybody's camping out. There's tents on Santa Monica Boulevard, and all these people are in sleeping bags. So this is like a wonderful thing. So I go over to one of the campers, and he says, "Yeah, give me a quarter. You got a quarter?" I said, "You don't need a quarter. You need his marshmallows for the cookout later." And then, so that 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 went over real well, you know. And then I said. Um, and I was up in Northern California, San Francisco. What a beautiful city. So I did the tourist stuff, you know, uh, Golden Gate Bridge and Telegraph Hill and all that. But then I said, when in Rome, right? Do as the Romans do. So I took a shit on the sidewalk. And I got to tell you, <laughs> the liberation I felt. And I said, yeah, it makes sense. It was free love. Now it's free defecation. <laughs> <laughs> so when, whenever whenever I open, like when I'm working on the road, wherever I am, I try to get something that's local, you know. But then when I'm in Boston, they'll say, do you do the same stuff out there? <laughs> I want to say, what are you, a fucking idiot? Yeah, of course. I make references to fucking Medford when I'm in L.A. But that, you know, that's part of the thing. If you don't know in the Boston area, what's fascinating about it is within a probably... 60 or 50 mile radius there are many different towns that have many different dialects so it's sort of like we think on general terms if we go south we're going to run into the person with the southern accent and then that's it but in boston there are a plethora where did you of grow different up there longmeadow massachusetts right next to Springfield. And so what the audience should know about Steve is yeah. that he perfected these dialects in no other part <laughs> of the country. There are so many. So before mm -hmm. I get into this, how many actual different, specific, recognizable dialects are there in that 60-mile radius of Boston that you do? Well, I could start... You know, South Boston. Now, that's where they do all the movies. Fucking South Boston. Now, they're kind of like, you know, tough guy shit. You know what I mean? And the funny thing is I grew up in Charlestown. And everybody thinks you're from Southie if you're a tough guy. But the first six, it, there's more than just the accent. It's, it's the attitude and the physicality of it. The first 16 years of my life, Barry, I didn't know people didn't speak from the side of their mouth. And and you would you'd be talking to someone, but you wouldn't like look at them. They'd be like, "Yeah, did you hear about last night? <laughs> what are you shitting me?" And the word you know the word shit is like sparkling. Shitting me? Don't shit me. So let me tell you one fucking thing. You can't shit a shitter. And and they they had these phrases like even as kids we would pick up our father's phrases, and they were kind of like horrible kind of things like you write someone off i got no use for that asshole <laughs> got no use for him then we hit the word asshole and all of a sudden everybody's a kennedy the man's an asshole they say asshole ah <laughs> not what this asshole can do for you i got to meet one of the Kennedys, and the Kennedys didn't even talk like the Kennedys. <laughs> you know, it's one of the things in movies, even when guys are from Boston, they sound like they're fake Boston accents, like uh, the Nicholson movie, The Departed. Didn't they all sound like they were pushing it? So that's fucking Charlestown and South Boston. And then Dorchester. Dorchester's a little more, a little more gentle. <laughs> a little more gentle. That's my Aunt Dot. My Aunt Dot, she was from Dorchester. So there's the word for, right? 
four. Four? Are you talking about the number four or the word four? It can be the number four, but they divide it. Fawa. Yeah. (laughs) He was there before. (laughs) And sad. In the backyard, I'm a nice sweater. God, it's getting hot. I mean, this was, I'm just doing impressions of my family, which came out in my act. Oh, Jesus, we'll have a nice barbecue in the backyard, and we'll cook up some corn, have some butter, sugar, watermelon, barbecue sauce. All right, so you got Southie and Dorchester. Southie, Dorchester, and Charlestown. Let's go to the uh, Bay Bay Village Back Bay, the South End. Now, that's, it's it's very gay, and it's it's also... um, very reserved and everybody was always in crisis because I started in theater you know so to me like someone's gay it meant nothing you know but I remember this one actor he, he always was in crisis I don't know if, it can, if I can even fucking go on today I'm telling you Jesus fucking Christ so I'd, I'd be backstage we are doing a play and I'd say alright just tell me about it just, he'd get it out he said I came home the Hummels were gone. The antiques, adios amigos. I'm alone. I'm alone, but I've been sober 30 days. I don't want to drink, but I feel, I, I, it's just my codependence. My codependence is just fucking coming up on me. So that's the back bay in Beacon Hill. Oh, Beacon Hill is actually that. You know, there actually were those people on Beacon Hill. You know, you see them in the movie, but they were, John Kerry's kind of got that. Oh, God. I hope the traffic to Nantucket isn't brutal. Maybe I'll have to fly. But then you go over the bridge uh, on the right, you get to the fucking North End. You know, it's like, the North End is, it's all these Italian guys. And you know, did you ever notice this about Italian guys? Like what, they they actually have very uneventful lives, but the way they describe it, you know, it's like they're telling you this story like someone getting bumped off. So I'm walking down the street. You know what I'm saying? So I'm walking down the street, then I cross the fucking street. You got that? I go into the store. The fucking guy, he wants $5 for a fucking marshmallow. I said, what the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's intimate at that same time. You know, and they go from like fucking, them, when they're fucking angry, you know, they're fucking, the, you motherfucker, that, but they're telling you some story with some guy like, you know, didn't pay for a meal, something small. I said, that fucking fuck, he fucked me that fuck. Like it's, <laughs> like it's some big deal thing, but... Then they they turn into like they're very concerned. How's your family? Everybody okay? How's your cousin? I heard that your cousin was sick. She's sick. So then when you go over the bridge and you're in Cambridge, so then it's like everything is like a question. Kind of goes up. Everything that says up. You know? <laughs> I was like I was doing my um bok, was it bakte? No, um it's hot uh, Bhakti, no, what, what do they call it? Some kind of yoga. He says, hot yoga. Bikram. I was doing Bikram for a while, you know. And it was like, okay, I was flexible. But I wasn't like experiences, the change that I'm feeling now with core yoga. <laughs> and, and I'm listening and I'm saying, what part of this do you think I give a shit about? You know what I mean? Um, then uh, there's... 
there's some people that they deliberately like they want to be unsuccessful you know it's like there's a town called medford right and they mock themselves it's mefa so you're saying oh okay so i'm such a fucking idiot that i can't pronounce my own name <laughs> but i was doing all this shit and i i worked with jay leno and he said man you got to watch out for this you're going to be doing jokes about the third tile on the fucking uh callahan tunnel but jay called me up and w what an honor this was we were talking off the air about great jokes and he called me and he said that's the best joke i've ever heard so here was the joke um bing crosby's son before all this stuff he says and i used to do this character his name was johnny digadiccio you know and uh and so Bing Crosby's son says, my father used to hit me. I said, hey, join the fucking club, kid. My <laughs> father used to break your father's records over my fucking head. <laughs> and Jay said, that's a great joke, which was a great compliment. You know? <laughs> right now, I don't even know if you can do it politically correct, but I was out here and people would always say to me, hey, you're from Boston. Can you say like park the car? <laughs> can you say like park the car in like Harvard Yard? And I say, what are you, fucking retarded? <laughs> what do you think, it's one big fucking parking lot? And I'd scare the shit out of them. But then I would say, people, you know, here's the other thing. We didn't, we didn't even get to Roxbury. Which, Rock? which, is, which is the black district of Boston. You know, oh, jive-ass motherfuckers. You know, that was, I opened at the Sugar Shack, which was a, an R&B club. And I opened for B.B. For King, and I was like, I was an actor and I was doing these impressions and it was like, you know, this is a fucking comedy club. It's an R&B club. And I'd be doing like John Lennon. It was very important when we started the band. That it, and I'd be doing like Paul Schofield getting an Oscar. <laughs> when a man receives an Oscar, maybe let's go for one moment. Oops. And I'd be doing like Laurence Olivier at the, in the store. Resonance! I wanted raisinets. <laughs> and Michael Caine, you and your games are going to be putting you under. So, you know, obscure shit. So they're looking at me like, what the fuck? Do some dirty shit, man. Don't you know any goddamn jokes? And uh, that was interesting. And I took all of that and I went down south. All right, are you ready for this? Because people think... Like in show business, you just, boom, it just came from out of nowhere. You have to have a lot of failure. You know, like Ted Williams, greatest batting average ever, 400. That means he struck out six times. But I was down south doing this shit, you know, because there was no place to work. I was working in Kentucky. And I'm doing shit like about subways and stuff. So I said, the trains, they go under the ground, okay? just like explaining shit and this guy came up to me after the show and he was trying to make me feel better because i fucking bombed he said well i could tell by your tone that you're funny and he thought that was gonna like make me feel good it's been a long trip so i have so many memories of you and i have extraordinary memories of you and i have very difficult memories of you which you probably might not know or remember because what registers in my brain mm. 
doesn't register in everybody else's brain. So here's my incredible, most positive memories of an example of how to be the best and most extraordinary performer. To be in Boston where I was, and I was at Boston University, and seeing how the comedy boom was taking off, you were doing something that was unprecedented in the world of comedy anywhere in the country or the world. You were selling out three shows on Friday at Nick's Comedy Stop, 400 people each show, 1,200 people every Friday coming to see you. 1,200 people coming to see you host a show where you, people didn't understand, but I understood. You were only doing about 20 or 25 minutes. And the other comics were doing their thing. You could come on, come and go as you wanted. You did your characters. You got off. And it was incredible. And you were making more money at that time than any comedian locally in any market in the world. I mean, it was insane. That was just the Friday night. So the thing was, that was special to me. And this yeah. is something that happened to me that really affected me but in a way that helped me and i'll share with you i came from longmeadow massachusetts i didn't know what was going on i was shy i was on the swim team i was doing the open mics so the first time i saw somebody really do something extraordinary was you and selling out those shows and i used to hang out in the back when i was an open micer and just watch the shows and study but I didn't have the guts to come into the dressing room ever um, to say hello or to see you when I was doing the open mics in the beginning. And then there was somebody I knew that was there. I think it was Bobcat Goldthwaite, maybe. Mm -hmm. And he was a roommate of mine at the time. I had had him come live with me. And he said, I'm going to go back to the dressing room. I said, well, yeah, you go. He said, no, you come with me. I said, no, I've been in a dressing room like that. He said, no, you can come. Don't worry about it. And he went in and he was walking me and he dropped the bag inside. And he said, go on, go inside. I'm just going to the bathroom before I go. And I go inside and I know you're in there and you are like a deity in this town. What Chappelle is now to the world of comedy you were to Boston. I mean, there was you and there was everybody else. And I walk in and I see you, your back is to me, and I am just go in and stand there and you turn around and you have an eight by 10 of comedians thing that was lying around that had fallen off a wall somewhere. Mm -hmm. And there were lines of coke on the mm -hmm. picture. I'd never seen cocaine before in my mm -hmm. life. And you turned around when you knew I was there, and there was cocaine on your mustache and your nose. Mm. Oh, really? And there was blood dripping from your wow. nose onto That's the sad. photo. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and you said, hang on, I'm just gonna go in the bathroom for a second. And you came back out and you introduced yourself. And I was stunned that my idol, the guy who I looked at like, God, will I ever get to the stage where I'm performing and 
doing this in my entire lifetime could I ever dream about doing this? And then I saw you doing something that I knew other comics did, but I never saw it before. And You know, I don't remember any of this. As I sit here listening to this, it makes me very sad. I want to explain something, though. It makes me sad, but it makes me very grateful because a big part of my life is my sobriety. I've been sober, clean and sober, 26 years. Amazing. Almost 27. But uh, I do hear those stories. Oh, my God. It's so fucking embarrassing. This is what isn't embarrassing about, and this is why I don't want you to be sad. Okay. Because I never did cocaine my entire life and to this day I've never done it and that's the reason why I never did it so you saved me from that world there's something else I think it's a funny story that was confronting to me as well when I got the chance to take over the comedy club play it against Sam's when I was in college I have a memory of play it against Sam's that (laughs) it's like it's so fucked up so there was a comedian who I will not name. He, uh, oh, I, you know, these interviews, you know, they, it's just like I'm talking about somebody who was somebody else. But anyway, the guy did my shit on stage. And he walked, were you there that night? I was there that night. He walked off stage. I fucking hit him with a right cross. He went over tables and everything. Do you think he knew? He didn't know I was there, but I was, you know, I got to tell you, you know, it's embarrassing. We, we came from a very rough background, but... But the thing is, like you said, I don't know what it was about me, but people were always nice to me. Even the late Barry Crimmins, who was, I think, angry at me for booking these colleges and doing these things and not really putting him in these rooms that I put other people in. Listen, I got to tell you something, because I have the same problem. Barry was never angry at you. He's never angry at you. But I just I, I related to De Niro. It's like some people give the impression that they're angry at you and they don't even know you. You know what I'm saying? So Barry was just... And did you ever notice this too? We put things on people that don't know us. Like, you know what I mean? Like I remember I had this experience with Peter Wolf and Peter Wolf from the Jay Giles band. He was like an idol and... He just said hi, and he was kind of funny. And I said, Jesus, I thought we were friends. And, said, and, I, and now we are. And he said, what, what did you want me to do? I said, hi, what the fuck? You know what I mean? But it, it's our stuff that we put on other people. I'll be honest with you. I was that way with Joe a little bit. It's like I knew Joe. Joe Rogan. But then I did his show. And like as a matter of fact, there was a band there that night at the, uh, at the improv. He was dropping your name. To somebody who was this Swedish singer she's got a little band it's just her and this other guy who's from some other country nobody's from anywhere out here Emma yeah Emma how did she do she did great but she was sitting there dropping his name backstage and I'm thinking I said yeah well I know Barry and said, you do I said yeah you know um, but then so when I did Joe's podcast it was like I don't, you know, it's not my world. Social media is not my world. And then people are coming, oh, you're doing Joe Rogan's thing, you know? Like when I was coming up, if you're doing Letterman or The Tonight Show or something, that's like the thing. 
Joe Rogan is like the new Tonight Show. I mean, what Joe is doing is incredible, and he does it his way, and he doesn't follow any rules, and he's broken so many stars. And he's he's, he's really smart, and he's very gentle, which surprised me because, he's, I mean, that that sport is like that's street fights, you know, mixed martial arts. So it, it's. I'm really getting a kick out of all this, that you're so successful and Joe's well, successful. Well, success is in the eyes of the beholder, but thank you. I hope to have your success someday. No, you know what? Here's the thing, you know. It, here's the bottom line, you know, if we weren't talking about, which we should talk about the movie, which uh, you can get on iTunes, by the way, Sweeney Killing Sweeney. But I, I went through Barry when you lost your, was that your wife? Yes, I was married when I was young and yeah, she died she, after she, eight months. She passed away. And now you got two beautiful kids. You know? Yes. I mean, that's, life moves along in a beautiful way. It's strange yeah. how fate works. You were very supportive during that time. But you don't know who cares until something bad happens. And I think it's probably also... There's that thing about the Irish Catholic thing that when somebody dies, people really come out and they're supportive and they're kind. We did we did a uh, benefit at Berkeley Performance Center. No, it was Symphony, Symphony Hall. Hall. Yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing show. You know, I I have memories of people. It's it's now I have this new role as being like an old guy, and I I don't feel old. But anyway, uh, like for example, Bill Maher, right? So I did. Young comedian special with Bill Maher and John Candy was the host and we would drink. John was great. So it was John Candy hosting and it was Bill Maher, you and who else? Kenny Rogers and Joe Rogan. Anyway, um, so Bill Maher, we were talking before we started the show. He wrote a joke. See, now I always found him like standoffish, whatever. And uh, but he wrote a joke. I said, wow, that's an amazing joke. And it's based on himself. He said, I'm half Irish, half Jewish. So I go to confession, but I bring my lawyer. Remember that joke? Yeah. And he said, I think you know Mr. Quartz. <laughs> so I'm gonna tell you a good story about Bill Maher. I was out here, and it was Thanksgiving. And he said, where are you going for Thanksgiving? And I didn't say anything. And uh, he said, well, why don't you come to my house, or whatever. He kind of had that compassionate moment. But anyway, so I, I get to like, watch these people I, I i said a funny thing on joe's show i said you know nick DiPaolo and louis ck and all these guys opened for me i said well you want to get ahead and show business open for me and i'll get to watch it go by you know i'll still be at some fucking gas station in len or something you know is that how you feel no because what happened was i was out here and i I felt like I wanted to be near my family and I wanted kind of a feeling of roots. When I, when I was out here living, people would move literally some average of like nine months, some crazy average, you know. Uh, but now this trip, it's like, wow, this place isn't so bad, you know. I think I was missing my family. You know the thing I missed when I lived in LA more than anything else? I missed green trees. Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, 
a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. I think what's fascinating about your life and career was there was this weird thing about Boston where there were a few people who were making a lot of money there. There was you, there was Don Gavin, there was Lenny Clark. I'd say the three of you were making the most money in the town. Like if there was a hundred percent pie of the money the comedians were making, you guys were in the top tier. Now, Granted, there were people that were making money, but they were entrepreneurs. There was a time, Barry, I was like I'm 30 years old and I was driving to New Haven for 40 bucks, you know. I mean, there, there was a time, you know, when I was just barely getting by. I know, but when you're doing 1,200 people at $10 a head. Yeah, but you know what, Barry? You'd, you'd be surprised, you know, club takes 
almost all the friggin' money, you know, but I never knew that side of the business. So you weren't a good business person during that no, time. I was terrible. I really was. I didn't want it. I wasn't that interested in money. I wanted what I always wanted. The first comedian that really blew me away was Richard Lewis. He wanted the comedy store and it was so different. He's going to stage, do that. I don't even know if he does comedy anymore, but then I saw Lily Tomlin live do her one woman show. And then the one that really blew me away was Richard Pryor, you know, and George Carlin. And I said, this isn't even my field. And I'm watching these people. And I said, I want to be able to do, I want people to like come to a club and like have the feeling that I got when I saw those people. It makes you feel like, like when you see something, somebody do something really well, it has nothing to do with money, you know? If you see Michael Jordan score a basket when there's five guys covering him, or certain performers, Joe gave me that the other night. I said, wow, this guy's great. Joe Rogan. Um, so I'm still like a fan, you know what I mean? If you don't mind, let's go way, way back. Okay. So take me back to where you grew up, what your mom and dad was like, your family members, and what was your first inspiration as a kid to get into the comedy business? I'm going to be really honest with you. I was never inspired to be in the comedy business. I totally fell into it. So my father was uh, a military guy. He was a major, World War II and longshoreman, tough as nails. Jesus Christ. Uh, my, mother, my mother was a saint, you know. Um, but I'm going to sidestep all that. The, I, I think if you really want to know, here's what I think, because I notice more in other comedians. Most comedians, or a lot of them, are the youngest. So when you're young, a way to get attention is to be funny. But I was never that funny. You know, I, um, I was weird. I was fucking weird. But and you I were would, the youngest child? I do, uh, yeah, I was the youngest of five, and I would do absolutely fucking anything. You know, I got... My friends, all they had to say to me was, you don't have the balls, and then I'd do it, you know? I mean, I was involved in an armed robbery and fucking, you know, all this shit, because you just had a you, you pulled an armed robbery. I didn't pull it. Let me explain. <laughs> I was in a car. There's a place called Wonderland Dog Track. How old are you? I'm 15 and a half. My father had just passed away. The fucking gates were open, because my father was like, get in this house by 9.30. How did he die? He died of a heart attack. He was young. He was 59. But my mother lived to almost 103. These guys, you know, like guys I grew up with, they robbed banks. Now, would that ever cross your mind? No. Totally out of my, it's like, I, I would look at them. It's like, how did, wouldn't that be like, I mean, who, I know it's not a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong. So anyway, I'll tell you the story about this one thing. So I'm in a car, and uh, everybody's shoplifted in Charlestown. It's just a way, of, it's a rite of, you know, passage to so shoplift. But then, you know, they escalated. They got more professional, and they became armored cars, the whole thing. But I'm in the backseat of a car. I said, where are we going? It's the middle of the day. We're going to Wonderland. Now, Wonderland was a dog track, but they ran at night. So they said, we're going to hold up Wonderland. And I'm thinking, Number one, it's the middle of the day. There's no money. But you had to like, because they said, you don't have the balls. You had to do it. So we're climbing over the fence. So um, 
I ended up I'm leaving with like condiments, you know, like big mustard and relish and hot dog rolls and all this shit. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So, but anyway, we we got caught and we had to go to court and Revere and I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. But I had so many of those events growing up that uh, I talk about this. I have a one man show. It's called Townie. It's about growing up in Charlestown. One of the things I do is I, I have slides. Actually, we should talk about bringing it out here because people would really like it. I have a big slide of the Bunker Hill Monument, and I say, there were three great battles in Charlestown, the Battle of Breeds Hill, the Battle of Bunker Hill, and the battle right here to get Joni DiBiase's bra off. It's my first, <laughs> it was my first sexual experience. I point to it and I says, and as you can see, they built a monument. And, <laughs> and I know what you're thinking, no, it's not for that, but notice the shape. <laughs> So I grew up with all these guys, and uh, when you ask about the family, there was the family, but Charlestown was a family. There was the neighborhood, the family, they were interchangeable. Everybody, you know, I know your father. I know your father. You better get in that house. I know your father. You know, and uh, we had the double-deckers to, you know, these old Boston buildings, we used to, known as also the Irish battleships, and... Uh, Drinking age was twelve. You know, you started young. And that's when how did I you grew when up. did you have your first drink? How old were you? Twelve. What was the drink? Uh, it it was a, yeah, this is really going back. It was Nature Boy by Cadillac Club, which was in the same family as Boone's Farm, shall we say, or Boone's Farm Wine or Tango. It was rot gut. It was terrible. You know, but then. If you want to talk about these experiences, it was the 60s. I got into LSD. How old were you when you first took LSD? 15. That, you know, when my father passed away, I did everything. So we, were, we all just did whatever was there. I was, part of, I was part of the bad kids, but I wasn't a bad kid. You know, there's this kid, Bobby Picardi. I'll never forget it. So we'd get what's called a substitute teacher, and Picardi would run down the stairs and he'd say, you're just kind of following orders, you know? And he would say, um, look out the mirror, look out the window and just start screaming. I said, oh, okay, and I'd look out the window and go, ah! So then the teacher looks out and he's down on the sidewalk like this, you know? So she thinks he jumped out the window and, you know, just all of this crazy shit. When then we did the same thing, we worked in a Converse Rubber, which was a uh, factory for sneakers. It was terrible. And the first day on the job, this kid, friend of mine, Danny, he said, uh, look down the elevator shaft and start screaming. So that's what he did to get out of the job and get compensation and everything. So anyway, getting back to the LSD. So that hit Charlestown, and I, uh, I took it, and... It was, I never had a good trip. Everything freaked me out. There was this Donnie Ray, his father would whistle. And it was like, fuck, that's the scariest fucking thing I've ever seen. It freaked me out. And then guy's head, i never forget this one guy, his head turned into a large bee and all this fucking shit. And one time I was, um, was on the corner of Bunker Hill Street and we had taken the acid at 6.30. He said, you gotta get to my house right away. And I said, why, you know, what's what's the big deal? He said, well, Lawrence Welk is on. I said, what? 
Lawrence Welk, he, he was a band leader. He says, I'm telling you, the fucking bubbles, it's unbelievable. So we'd be there watching bubbles go up and down. And it was uh, it was a crazy time, the 60s. I myself was homeless, but it was called being a hippie. You know, there were all kinds of people just floating around, hitchhiking, you didn't have a place to live, and you just slept wherever you were. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. You left home before you finished high school? No, I finished, and then I, I, I read a book called On the Road by Jack Kerouac. So I took uh, buses and trains all over the country. And How did you have the money to do that? Where was the money coming well, from? Well, I worked in Manpower. Did you ever hear of Manpower? No. Manpower was a day labor place. I would give blood. I worked in a nursing home overnight. Uh, that was funny. The nursing home, the, the characters in there, you know. Stop that, stop that. You're going to get out of here. Stop that. One guy would get up every night. Stop that. Come on. You got to get back to the bed. Come on. Why are, you Why are you up in the middle of the night every night? And I'd be like, I would never any good at any of these jobs. And so you saved enough money to go on the road. I didn't save. I was completely broke. And you could do it in those days. You hitchhike. You pick up some day labor. I actually hopped a freight. I did everything that Jack Kerouac did in the movie or John Steinbeck, you know, that era of America. And it was very formative, but I was, very, I'll be honest with you, it was very lonely. It was like I was in a, a hotel room, a, a YMCA used to have rooms, and um, I could hear through the wall, make the world go away and take it off my shoulder. Say the things you used to say. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, fucking stupid country. So then I'm 19 years old. I get a call from my brother. He's, uh, he said, do you want a job for the summer? So I said, sure. And I said, and he said, I said, doing what? He said, being an actor. I said, why would you ask me that? You know I'm not gay. Why do you ask me that? Because at Charlestown High, the only people that were acting was, let's go, I can't get anybody to do pajama game. I can't do it by myself. <laughs> so he says it's at Smith College. And uh, 
I said, well, what is it? I thought it was like a barber school. It was, it was all women. So I said, get me on that bus. You know, so I went right up there. When did you lose your virginity? I think that was probably 13 or 14. Really? Why is that young? Is that old? I don't know. That's young, I think. Is it? Oh, that was great. And how old was the girl? She was, I don't know, same age. You know, but my first sexual experience, I was trying to think of like what, what, what the sounds you're supposed I, I was like, I always thought that part of the action movies was really boring. Why are they doing this romance thing? But anyway, I was doing it and I was saying, am I supposed to be making some sounds here? You know, like, ah, I love you. Or, ah. So I... I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it was just, uh, it was a woman, by the way, <laughs> but uh, it was, it was very, it actually, it was very nice. It was very tender. I actually liked her and I kind of liked them all. I, you know, I, I talked to these actresses that were in the movie with Jordan and Christina and, um, I'm really interested in their relationships because I want them to like bring it into the movie. You know what I mean? Bring your real life into the scenes. So Christina, we had a, uh, a talk and it was just, to me it's funny, but uh, she's talking about this guy and that guy and I said, all of a sudden I stopped listening to her and I came to this, Jesus Christ, I think I'm in love with my dog. And, <laughs> cause I, and you know, I, I think I was. So you're 19 and you start the acting start the thing. Act with doing Shakespeare. And I discovered I had feelings. I had emotions because I'm Irish. You know, fucking, you don't have emotions. Yeah, well, my mother just died. Nothing fucking happened. I'm not fucking, I don't have any fucking emotions. So don't talk about how I feel for Christ's sakes. Who the fuck are you? So I had the emotions. And, and when you feel like you're feeling something, you really think you're a good actor, you know, which you're not because there's a craft to it and there's a whole way, how's the audience getting it? And are you acting with other people? So I swear to God, we're doing uh, Macbeth and I had that horrible Boston accent. I'm doing like, you know, taking myself very seriously. Is that a dagger <laughs> that I see before me? But looking back on it, the guys I was acting with, they sucked too because they all had their New York accents. And so they all sounded like Jackie Mason and they're coming up to me, you know, and I'm Macbeth and it's just, uh, the horror, the horror. I want to tell you the truth, but I'm like, you know. I feel bad for people that have to go to plays for that their kids are in that really, when it sucks. That summer that you were doing this acting thing, got did you get bug. the bug? I got the bug and I became a, what we used to call a doorman. I guess now you'd call it a door person. And um, I love the theater. And I swear to God, this is absolutely true. I, so I, I adored it. It was just, to me, it was so different than Charlestown. And Joan Plowright was doing a play at the Schubert Theater who was married to the greatest actor in the world, Laurence Olivier. Here I am, the doorman, and Laurence Olivier walks through. And I swear to God, Laurence Olivier went to Dominic's sub shop to get a sub. That was right by Nick's. Right by Nick's. And it was a bar called Alfie's. So I could see him in there. I was like stunned. Like one time I saw Marlon Brando in Westwood 
and what else would he be doing? He was having a freaking ice cream. And I said, you know, he was eating, which is what he did. And I said, wow, that's Marlon Brando. But anyway, so I was visualizing Olivier in there. I'll have a steak and cheese with peppers and onions. And then the girl, of course, is that for here to go? So I got the bug and I met a lot of people. And then I got my actor's equity card um, at the Charles Playhouse. We were doing Christmas Carol. Unfortunately, it's Christmas Carol, which is a nice play, right? It's a family play. But myself and two other members of the cast, three, we had terrible cocaine habits. So the play was supposed to last two hours and Half it lasts about eighteen minutes. Yes, yes, Mr. Scrooge. No, Mr. Scrooge. Yes, is that Tiny Tim? Yes. <laughs> and the, you know the intensity is just whatever. So, so you're doing the theater, yeah. and so how do you decide to dip your toe in the stand-up comedy ink? I never did. I said to Joe, Joe, I said I get into this to try to get acting work, and I'm still doing that. I'm trying to get acting work. So um, anyway, I was doing a one-man show of Samuel Beckett. Then I did all these different characters. You I, wrote the show. Uh, oh, yeah, How old were you? Oh, I don't know. 20s, maybe. And so who's promoting it? Who's bringing the Nobody. crowd in? Nobody. But I did get a great review in the Boston Globe, and then the crowd was around the block, and my friend was collecting the money. But anyway, I did all these different characters. Master Sergeant Hugh Delaney, 35 years, U.S. Marine Corps, released last year in a Section 8. They called me bomby. They called me crazy. They called me a, a line. What was that? He said, but I still love this country, the United States of goddamn America. <laughs> um, so you created your yeah, own one show. One show, right. It's the first show you ever wrote in your life. No, I was writing plays in college. But I mean, I'm talking about for your own yeah, yeah. thing. And so you took the risk. And I never... never Used the microphone. And uh, then the Boston Globe review, there were lines out the door. Yeah, lines out the and door. And how often were you doing the show a week? Every Friday. And then um, they they wanted to put stand-up comedy in there. And I, and they said, you should do that. And I, I was broke. I was living in a, a like a loft, you know, a painter's thing, you know, and where they paint, what do they call it, a studio? And I was, I had like a hundred bucks a week I was making and. So I said, okay, I'm just going to go out there and I have to do... The guy said, be, why don't you try to be you? And I said, wow, that's a challenge, you know? And I didn't use a microphone. And then I, I just, you know, it, it's not something that just comes. You have to learn how to do it. Like, if I'm doing a movie, the, the point of a movie in a conversation, like a Woody Allen movie, is believability, right? So it's conversational. But then, when I watch stand-up, it's different. It's a rhythm of like, set it up, and then boom, you know, boom, boom, boom. I had to learn all that. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best 
water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life and instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. Do put the work in, build relationships, because there's a lot of comedians. One of the things I learned, which is, it's not translatable, but you said, you know, I had these crowds. I learned really early. I said, a lot of funny guys. It's not about being funny. It's about being popular. Like I said to my mother, Bob Hope, he's still doing it. It's amazing. She said, yeah, he's still not funny to me. I don't know what it is, but he was popular. Thank you so much for listening, and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.